Um, my name is Rebecca Salgado, for those that don't know. Hi, I'm back. Uh, we basically missed all of July because stuff, so we're back. This is nice. Um, we were actually up at a Christian family camp for a week, and we got to hear all these great speakers and all of that, and so oats and, you know, basically just plagiarize whatever they said, and then I would just say it again. Um, you wouldn't know. Uh, but there was a speaker up there. He's this pastor from Sacramento, and he wasn't the smoothest preacher out there. He kind of rambled a bit and told lots of crazy stories. He had this, like, pirate voice that was really scratchy, and he had Tourette's, so he was, like, ticking, and, you know, like, it was different for what that group usually has. But, man, when that guy talked about grace you just stopped and listened because it was amazing. So that's what we're talking about today because I have been mulling over these things for a couple weeks now and um, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you these things. Do you ever get that feeling? God puts it on your heart. You are supposed to say this. I don't know if it's to a person or whatever, but um, I'm also going to pray before we really start in because when you're talking about grace and humility... Um, you probably have been humbled that week pretty good. Um, it's been a lousy week, so I'm going to pray before just to kind of pray some protection on this room and just so we can um, really hear what God wants me to say. Uh, so let's pray real fast. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that we're here. Thank you for these faces and these friends. And I pray that whatever message you have, that it will be heard. I pray that every heart in here will um, be blessed, that they will understand your grace a little bit more. And Holy Spirit, just protect this room and protect your word and protect these people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are going to start in Luke 18. Um, so I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. So Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there's two men. The first one is a Pharisee. So he's the ultra-religious, the church-goer, the rule-follower, the one who not only follows all the rules, he makes sure everybody else does too. You've met them? Yes? Yeah. The, the ones who have to police everybody else. Um, in this time, when Jesus is living, there are, two, there are a couple different types of religious people. Um, there are the Sadducees, the ones that controlled the temple, and it was those were very political offices, and that would be kind of like our modern day, like the Pope and the cardinals and archbishops and stuff. Like it was very, um, very much to do with how you worship God at the temple. 
the Pharisees were on the local level. So they were like pastors or priests or something like that, that they had real congregations. They had people that they were over. So they weren't this high and lofty thing, but they were the authority on the law. So the people were kind of uneducated in the law. There were a lot of, you know, all of the disciples were like fishermen and people, laborers and farmers and that sort of thing. So they couldn't know the law completely themselves. So they were dependent on the Pharisees telling them what to do. Um, Now, this is also before Jesus died on the cross, right? So they have to live by the law. We talked a lot about the law through Galatians, right? Through um, Wes's series. And this is all going to kind of tie in. But the only way a person could be right before God in this time is to follow the law perfectly, which, of course, God knew that we couldn't follow the law perfectly, so he made a way for you to be forgiven, for you to experience grace, so that your sins and mistakes could be forgiven, you could become right before God. The Pharisees said, well, instead of going through all the problems of sacrifices and all of that, we're just going to make sure we never break the law. So they had the law, and then they made all these other rules around it so that they could never actually break that one. So if you're going on the five freeway and the speed limit is 65, the Pharisee would say, no, you can only go 55. That way you never even get close to 65. Does that make sense? And if you went 56, then we're going to ostracize you from society and you can never come to church again. So that's how that goes. So there was laws upon laws upon laws, and that became really oppressive to normal everyday people But they thought that that's what they had to do because the Pharisees are the ones telling them they don't know any differently. So I'm going to give you an example of what that looked like for me in my own life. Um, I grew up pretty conservatively, um, pretty strict rules in our house, but my parents were true believers, loved God. But then I went to college, and I went to this Christian university that is, like if you think of ultra-religious, lots of rules, go a step past that, and you're at my school, okay? So I had to sign a contract saying I wouldn't do all of these things that they said were wrong. Now, some of them were, and some of them were a little out there. So, you know, I said that I wouldn't drink alcohol, I wouldn't gamble, I wouldn't smoke, I wouldn't have sex before I got married, I wouldn't have unnaturally colored hair, I wouldn't dance, I wouldn't blah, 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 right? Um... I remember when flip-flops were banned from the campus because the president was walking, the president of the school was walking through the parking lot and there were some kids on the way to chapel and they're wearing flip-flops and he thought that was disrespectful to God. So flip-flops were banned from class and chapel. So like you get the idea? Um, We also had to go to two church services every weekend and three chapels during the week. So that's essentially five church services. And if you didn't go, there were tallies of how many times you could miss and all of that. Um, The problem with that, okay, so in my situation, not trying to justify myself, but I'm just going to (laughs) show the burden of this. So I had to work during school. So I had a job outside off of campus. I was a full-time student trying to keep good grades, do the homework, do all this stuff. And I couldn't make it to five church services a week. I just, I had to work on Sundays. I would go in the morning. So I would go to four a week, not five, 
and I ended up lying about it because I couldn't do it and I didn't want to get kicked out of school. So there is nowhere in the Bible that says that I have to go to five church services a week, that it is not a sin to not go five times. What is a sin is to lie about it. So here's the dilemma. So this is where I felt the weight of my guilt and my shame, and I'm around all of these people that are five church service type of people. So that's where all of these extra rules start become a burden, and they start to oppress the people. So that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're making all of these laws. And that's why Jesus is so hard on any of the religious in this time when he's always calling them whitewashed tombs and he's doing all of this stuff against the religious people because they took something that was meant to be good and was meant to be guidelines on how to live, a way to meet God, and they turned it in a way for you to feel shame and guilt and a way to puff up their own morality because they were following it. And they didn't need Jesus. Um, just a little side note about the law, because we've talked about it a lot, but Paul calls the law good in Romans 5 and 7 and 1 Timothy 1 because it proves that we can't possibly fill it. So if you can't do it perfectly, then you need a savior. So he calls it good because it points you to Jesus all the time. It was also good because God's people actually got to be forgiven. If you read Genesis or Job All of these people, Abraham, Isaac, Noah, they're all wandering around trying to live the way they're supposed to according to what God, they were trying to please God, but they had no idea how to do that. So they're giving sacrifices and God is calling them righteous, but they never actually know that. They don't have a measure of how they're supposed to live. And so it's kind of like if I tell my child, or if I never tell my child, no, you can't touch that. And then he does, and he gets in trouble for it. That's not actually a fair parent, right? I never told him that there was a consequence if you touch that thing. So he's just supposed to know that? No, you have to tell them in advance. There has to be a cause and effect. There's a consequence to your actions. So before the law came, they all just were trying to figure it out. The whole book of Job is a bunch of guys sitting around going, I think you sinned. That's why all this bad stuff is happening to you. And Job's like, I don't think I did. But he doesn't know, right? He doesn't know fully. He doesn't have that certainty that he is right before God. So now the Israelites are becoming a nation and God says, okay, I'm going to give you the guidelines. I'm going to let you know. And every year you get to come on Yom Kippur. It's in September. It's next month. They still celebrate it. You get to come and have your sins forgiven completely for the whole year. Everything that you did this whole last year, you're totally good for a little while until you sin again. But So this is where we're at with the Pharisee, okay? He thinks that he has not committed any sins. And he's looking at everybody else saying, look, I'm puffed up. I am doing it all correctly. Going back to that. What I loved about Wes's take on Galatians was when he said that we all have a version of the law that we think saves us. So basically, when we read these stories in the Bible, the parables or these stories that Jesus is amongst the people, and we see a Pharisee and the tax collector, 
you have to remember that you are the Pharisee in this story, okay? You're not Jesus in the story telling the parable. You are not the tax collector who's the good one. You're the Pharisee, okay? If Jesus is at the well and he's talking to the sinful woman, you're the sinful woman, you're not Jesus, okay? Everybody got that? Because we do. We read these stories and we're like, oh, good, I'm doing it right. I'm better than that person. I didn't do that. Because even as I was preparing this and I was thinking about how I had this conservative college that I went to, it's really easy for me to say, well, I don't do that to people. I don't make people feel like that. I give them grace. I'm not going to make that mistake. Well, then I'm in the same category, right? The, The second that I think I'm doing it better than they are, I'm voting better than they are, I'm caring about them better than they are, we are in the category of the Pharisee, okay? Everybody agree? All right, good. So, we're going to talk about the other guy then. Because the Pharisee is not the one that gets commended for, in this story. It's the tax collector. Now, tax collectors were traitors to their people in that time. They were the worst of the worst. They were despised more than anybody else in that society because they worked for the Romans. And so if the Romans said, you owe $10 in taxes... The tax collector, who is Jewish, would go to his own people and say, no, you owe $20 and just keep the change, okay? So they were despised. The ironic thing is that both of these people would have been powerful in society, and they're both oppressing their own people. It's just one was spiritually and one was a physical monetary thing. Um, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. This kind of humility puts you in a position that leads to grace. So before I talk some more about humility, there's something that I want you to know about what humility is not. Humility is not self-loathing. It's not self-hatred. It's not berating yourself. Um, It's not thinking you are worthless. Uh, The world will humble us pretty well. My kids humble me every single day. (laughs) They are out of control. Um, My job has humbled me this week. My clients humble me this week. Um, My own failings and my own weaknesses humble me, right? So it's not telling yourself that I can't do this, I'm a failure. That is not humility before God, okay? So we're going to talk more about what it is, but I want you to know that that's not it. It's also not the Pharisee, right? It's not comparing yourself to other people. It's, It's not making excuses, right? Well, that guy was doing it worse than I was. Um, not pointing a finger at someone else when you really are at fault. Um, We're really good at that. Adam and Eve did it at the very beginning. They sinned, and Adam's like, no, it was the woman. And Eve was like, no, it was the snake. It's, It's always somebody else's fault. That's not what true humility is either. And so the tax collector isn't looking at anyone else. There's no one else in his vision. He's He's not even looking up. He's looking down. Let me tell you about my week. So this is one thing that happened. There were multiples, but I'm going to tell you the easy one. So Tuesday, I take my kids to the dentist, right? And Nacon has cavities in his back tooth. Um, 
because I'm the mom of a five-year-old who can't floss himself, that's basically my fault, right? That I'm not getting back there, I'm not, you know, whatever. So we go straight from there to swim lessons. And we're leaving swim lessons, and it's the junior nationals at the aquatic center that we're at. And so there's cars everywhere, and there's people everywhere. And I'm not the greatest driver anyway. I have never claimed to be. My kids think it's hilarious how many curbs I run over. So I'm trying to get around here, and my back tire goes over a curb and pops. And I don't realize it till I get on the road, and the car will not, you know, you push it down on the gas, and you go, Ugh. So I have to get to the side of the road. And I'm just going, seriously, this week? Come on. And so we're on the side of the road. It takes an hour and a half for the tow truck to come. It's going to cost me $200 to get a new tire. This is not one they can just fix. And all of the same old accusations start flooding through your brain, right? You never do anything right. Why can't you just pay attention? So you can't even take care of your own kids. You know, who are you to tell anyone else how to live? You're a mess. You, you shouldn't be teaching this Sunday. You're a failure. You'll just get it wrong. That's not humility. Those are lies from Satan. But it also isn't running away from your failings as well. If I were to sit there and say, well, no, I'm really not that bad, or blaming everybody else, it was the nationals, it was those people. Humbling yourself before God is to put yourself in a place to receive grace. So you have to actually sit there for a minute. It's good that it took an hour and a half, because I had to sit for a second. And I had to say, God, I failed. And he said, yes, you did. But you know what Grace says? But you are not a failure. You have weaknesses, but you are not weak. You are not a failure because our God doesn't fail. You are not unlovable because you were made and loved by God who would sacrifice himself for you. You are not weak because your God is strong and you are his child. Grace says that though you sin, you are not defined by that sin. You are not defined by your worst moments. God defines you as loved, as an heir to the kingdom, a partner, a member of his family, and a new creation. Ephesians 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It isn't from you. You didn't follow the rules perfectly. You didn't do everything right. It is the grace of God who is kind. We serve a generous and a God full of mercy. And that kind of grace, when you really put yourself in that place where you can receive that grace, that grace leads to gratitude. So while I'm sitting on the side of the road berating myself, I did realize where those thoughts were coming from, that they were not coming from God. And so I texted my friend and I said, I'm supposed to teach on Sunday and I feel attacked. I'm sitting on the side of the road. I need prayer right now. And she texts back, she's that kind of friend. You need one of those friends in your life. She texts back that she has sent me a Marco Polo message, you know, the, the video messages, and she is actually praying for me on the message. I didn't even have a chance to listen to it fully because 
a couple things happened at once. Immediately, a lady pulls up next to me and rolls down her window and asks if we need help, which in that moment, all I really needed was kindness. And I, no, 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 the, the tow truck's coming, you know, but you have no idea how much that meant <laughs> in that moment. And then, right, the, the tow guy is calling me on the phone. Hey, I'm right up the street. Where are you? He comes. He's really kind, nice, helping me with the kids, all of this stuff. He's, he's getting my car on there. I, I order an Uber. It's like, how am I supposed to get home? I got kids in the backseat. So I order an Uber. The guy doesn't usually work during the week, but he lives a minute away, and he just happened to look at it. And so he comes and picks us up. We throw the car seats in, throw the kids in, get home. Ten minutes I'm at home, we're all safe and we're all great. And in that moment, I realized that wasn't me either, right? That was God hearing our prayers. And that is God in his kindness coming to rescue me because I need rescuing right now, not just physically, but my soul needs it right now. And it made a difference. The mess that I create does not stop a good and gracious God. So there's a song in in, uh, Jewish Passover called Dayenu, and it means it would have been enough. This is a little tangent, but I love it. Because Passover is a celebration of God saving the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt in the book of Exodus. And this song is over a thousand years old. There's like manuscripts with this Dianu song in it. And they still sing it at Seder's now. So um, it's basically, here's a couple lines. If he had brought us out of Egypt and not carried out judgment against the Israelites, Dianu, it would have been enough. If he had split the sea for us and had not taken us through it on dry land, it would have been enough. If he had taken us through the sea on dry land and had not drowned our oppressors in it, it would have been enough. If he had not supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years um, and had not fed us manna, it would have been enough. So the idea is, if all he had done was save us in Egypt and get us out of there, that would have been it. That would have been enough for us. That is a heart of gratitude. So for us... If all Jesus had done was save you from yourself, if all he had done was forgiven you of your sins, it would have been enough. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It would have been just enough to be saved, but we serve a God of abundance. And so he not only saved you, he set you free. He also calls you his child. He gave you the Holy Spirit to lead your heart. He gave us his word to guide our steps. He also made you part of a family when you look around so you don't have to walk alone. He gave you gifts so you would have a purpose. He gave you promises. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. I have adopted you as heirs to the kingdom. I have bestowed on you every spiritual blessing. That is the reason to celebrate. It would have been enough, but he's done even more. That kind of grace leads to gratitude, and it has nothing to do with us. He just keeps giving and giving and giving the grace. Um, This leads to my last point, and that is when Jesus is enough, then you don't need to look at anyone else. So true gratitude leaves no room for comparisons. So when you have done it all, 
it's really easy to say, well, they're not good enough. Or looking at everyone else and saying, I'm not good enough. Well, no one is. It evens the playing field. So we're all sinners. We're all a mess. We're all guilty before a perfect and just God. Jesus' sacrifice was completely undeserved. He paid for our sins. You don't need to validate yourself by relishing someone else's misery. You don't have to look at Instagram and be jealous of your friend's vacation. Jesus is enough. And if we really realize that, then we can come to God with a heart of gratitude. Um, I want to do, I'm going to close with a psalm of praise just to thank God for who he is and for his grace. Um, Yeah, the, the band can come up. It's Psalm 100, 1 through 5, because we are a community that praises God. So, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. (laughs) 